0: Good morning. That's pretty good. It's good to know you're awake. Actually that singing was a was just wonderful. It's uh, it's one of the blessings, right, of dare I say it, are we past covid yet? I hardly want to say that, right? But just to be together and and uh, and to sing like that as as a body of believers is just so awesome, isn't it? And just to lift up the Lord and and exalt him in that way. So it's just great to be here and to hear that singing. And to receive such a warm welcome this morning. It was like a camp reunion. And uh, to see people from camp in the summer and some of the kids that we got to know and and the youth and and adults as well. And just uh, kind of almost a little reunion here. And we don't have enough time for that, right? It'd be so good to have all kinds of time. And heaven will have lots of time. We're going to be focused on him. But I think we're going to enjoy fellowship with each other in heaven too. I have to think that that's going to be part of the experience of being in the presence of the lord we will be it, it how can we how can we understand it right in the way that we live now in this world with the limitations we think well how could we be focused on the lord and still interact with each other i don't think that's going to be an issue in heaven and it's going to be a fellowship like uh like nothing we've experienced and we're looking forward to that and i'm going to think about that this morning we're going to think about that go to philippians chapter 3 If you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 3, or if you have a Bible app. I got thinking a little while ago, I should say if you have a Bible or a Bible app, because my wife typically uses her phone and her Bible app. The great thing with that is you can pull up whatever translation the guy's preaching from, if you don't happen to have it. But I am preaching from the New King James. That's the translation I'm using. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And we're going to think about our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ. Philippians 3 and verse 10 says, Paul's the writer, the spirit of God through Paul. And I love it. There's a lot of personal testimony here. We could begin in the beginning of chapter or or the beginning of chapter three. He's talking about himself and his past. And he comes to verse 10. And it's like almost this culmination. It's like that I may know him. It's like this is the thing above everything else that I may know him. That is Christ, obviously, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's commit our time again into the Lord's hands. Father, thank you Thank you so much for so many things this morning. You are such a good God, you are so incredibly good to us. You are gracious, you are loving, you are merciful. Father, we just bring glory and honor to you this morning and to your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can gather here together this morning and we can sing and we can pour our hearts out in worship and praise to you for who you are for for all that you have done. And Father, we're just so thankful this morning, those of us that know Christ as Savior, that we have a Savior who came into this world, became like us, lived among us, eventually laid down his life for us on the cross, died, but rose from the dead and is living and exalted. And there's a day coming that he's going to return for us. And so Father, we thank you for the hope that we have, in Christ and I just pray this morning that you would encourage us together out of your word the truth of your word this is what matters this morning that your word your truth and, and father that it would it would land in our hearts and in our minds in in a way that it would make a difference father that we would be encouraged that we would be focused that we would be strengthened to continue to press on to live faithfully for you waiting for the day that our Savior is going to come father if there's someone here this morning That does not know the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would open their hearts in love, Father, in your grace, reveal yourself to them, reveal your son to them, and that your Holy Spirit, God, would graciously open their eyes to see that they have a a God. There's a God that loves them and wants to know them and for him, them to know him. And so God, I just pray that you would speak whatever our need is, Lord. And I humbly ask for your grace and your strength and your help in my weakness, in Jesus' name, amen. There is a poem that I'm sure you all know. It's called Barclay of Uri. No, okay, (laughs) I didn't know it either, but I came across the stanza of this poem and it led me to read the poem and and, uh, so I don't wanna get too deep into the weeds on that. It was written by John Greenleaf Whittier. He was an American Quaker I didn't I didn't put the year down I should have wrote that down here um, and it was written about the arrest around the story of a guy named David Barclay in Scotland who was arrested and humiliated publicly paraded through the streets because of his belief because he was a Quaker and I'm not sure all the details of that but basically being persecuted for the sake of Christ and, and in this long poem there's a stanza that says this, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe not, but, but this is what twig me and led me into the research of this poem, but here's the stanza. Through this dark and stormy night, faith beholds a feeble light up the blackness streaking. Knowing God's own time is best, in a patient hope I rest for the full day breaking. I'm convinced that the writer of that poem, when he talked about the full day breaking, was the day of seeing Christ and being with Christ and the return of the Lord and being in his presence and all of that. So that the hope in the darkness of this world, the way it's described here, through this dark and stormy night, faith beholds a feeble light up the blackness, streaking, I love the way that is worded there, the beauty of that, that in the darkness and in the blackness there is a light. That shines knowing God's own time is best in a patient hope. I rest for the full day breaking hope. Definition of hope. This is just out of a dictionary. And, and, and I think if I said, what is hope? You'd have some idea of describing it, but let me give you a dictionary definition for hope. It is desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. And and so this is an idea of that I'm expecting something. And, and and I'm believing that it's going to be fulfilled someday, and that obviously makes sense when we think about hope. Or, or this definition, this was another definition, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. And so, again, it's an idea of looking ahead, of expecting something, and knowing that it's coming one day and holding on to that. This is not, when the Bible talks about hope, obviously it is a hope in God, in his truth, in his son, Jesus Christ, for us specifically in the church the return of Christ, or being with Christ even through death, that idea that we're going to be with him, we're going to be in his presence, ultimately to be in heaven with him, that is the hope of the Christian. And, and that hope and that expectation that we have, based on the word of God, based on the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not an empty hope. It, it is a real hope, it is a vital hope, it is a life-transforming hope. It is not country-store hope country store hope. Now, I like country stores, all right? I'm not against country stores. We live in the country. We have a country kitchen. We got the country kitchen signs up. We've got one of these signs, a couple of these signs in our house. What I mean by country store hope, if you ever go into a country store and you see these signs, faith, hope, you know, love, and that's it. And it's great. And they're good words. They're great words to have on the wall. But I often ask myself, as people are shopping in those country stores and putting that word hope up on their wall somewhere in their kitchen, their living room, I don't know where they're putting it. I ask myself, what is their hope in? What is the hope in? What is the faith in? (laughs) What is the love based on? If you don't have God and you don't have Christ, is it good times? That's great to have good times in life, right? Family and friends, those are good things, and we're excited about that. And the blessings of this life, those are all good things, and I'm not taking anything away from that. And people that hang things on their wall that say faith and hope and love, and that's what they're holding on to, and that's awesome, that's wonderful. Lots to be thankful for though there. But all of those things are just temporary things. Even as good as they are, they are things that will not last, because they are rooted in this life. They are temporary things. The Bible, specifically here as we're looking at Philippians 3, but many places in the Bible, all through the Bible, points us to hope in the eternal, something that is going to last forever. And not in this life, and wonderful blessings in this life, much to be thankful for, But it is not a hope just in what is in this life. It is a hope in the life to come. It is a hope that can be found only in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to give you three encouragements from our hope in Christ based on this passage that we've read this morning. Three encouragements. Here's encouragement number one, to know Christ in hope. To know Christ in hope. We, we started in verse 10 and I'm going to begin there. I'm going to read verses, let's read verses 10 and 11 again. Let's, let the word of God speak for itself. That's the most important thing, isn't it? But listen to what Paul says, that I may know him. I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot packed into those two verses. I don't have time to break everything down here, but let me quickly just break it down very simply. First of all, think about what Paul says, that I may know him. I want to know him. This is about, this is so important to understand and to get a hold of. This is about relationship, right? Right? Paul's talking about relationship here. Nowhere in the word of God, and I understand how people get this idea, right? Especially when you go to the old covenant and the law and the system and you got to do this and you got to do that and you got rituals and all of this. I understand how people get very much in their mind the idea of religion, right? It's about religion. And I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I gotta do all these things, and if I do all these things and go through all the ritual, somehow God's gonna think I'm okay. I get where people think that way, but that never really has been the message. Not, not anywhere really is that the message ultimately of the Bible. The message of the Bible above everything else is that God wants to have a relationship with us. God created us for relationship with Him. And he wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to know him, and he wants to know us. He knows us, but he wants us to know him. And here we find Paul saying that very thing here. What is the thing that he aspired to more than anything else in his life, in his ministry, that I may know him? So he just want to know him. Not not just know about him, we can know a lot about people or about individuals. We live in the the social media era, and I'm very not much into that, okay? So I just get bits and pieces of all the different social media stuff that is going around. And a lot of it is about celebrities and people, and the odd time I'll go on and research about a certain person to get information about them. And I can know about that person, but I may not know them at all. You understand the difference? to know facts and information, but not to know them. And Paul's talking here about knowing God, about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, here specifically, to know him, to know Christ. That is the most important thing. It is not religion, it is not ritual, it is not a system, it is not Christianity as something that I have to follow. It is the person of Christ that you need to know. And the good news is that he came into this world and he became like us, as I said earlier, died on a cross, rose from the dead. And his heart is that you would know him, and you can come to know him through faith by believing in him. That's what he desires. That's what God wants. That is what Paul aspires to here, that I may know him. I want to know him. I want that relationship with him. And then he goes on. He breaks it down. Some more details here. The power of his resurrection, he says. The might, the force of his resurrection. And when I think about what Paul is saying here, it's like, I want to live in His power and in His strength. I want His strength, the power of that resurrection, that resurrection power, to be lived through me in my life. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but I can't. Well, maybe you can. I've realized, come to realize in my own life, I can't live the Christian life. I can't. I've tried. And I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've failed, and I've failed, and I've failed in my own strength. I can't do it. I believe, I'm going to be honest here, maybe you think you can, but you can't. None of us can. It, it, it needs to be, ultimately, it need, and we can try and we can work at it, but ultimately it needs to be Christ living through us. That's the key in the whole thing. And it's not me, it's Christ in me. And, and so I want to be like him. I want to live like him. But it's not in my power and my strength that I'm going to be able to do that. It is only in his power. And Paul says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, to live like him, to live in his strength, not mine, for Christ to live through me. And then he says this, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Yay, right? No. No. How many of us are going, yeah, I want to suffer for Jesus. I want to face, probably not many of us are thinking that way, right? Because when things go sideways in our life, or we face opposition, or we go through adversity, or it's difficult to live for Christ in the situation that I'm in, we kind of don't like that, right? But here Paul's saying, that's okay. I I want to partner with Jesus in his sufferings. That's really what he's saying. I want to share in that. So that means I'm going to go through adversity. I'm going to go through opposition. We can see even the window of our pain and suffering and isolation or discouragement. Those things all tie into, if I see it this way, this is part of and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm experiencing what Jesus experienced. Not to look at my suffering as something that I should avoid, but to look at it as something that I can embrace. And I'm, I'm sharing it with Christ, partnering with him. Fellowshipping in his sufferings. The only way we're ever really going to become like Jesus is if we suffer somehow in some way. We need to suffer. And in that way, we're going to understand just a little bit, just a little bit of what Christ went through. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to suffer because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want to know him. I want the power of his resurrection to live like him. I want, to share even in the, I want to share even in his sufferings because I know that's going to make me more like Jesus if I go through suffering. And then he says, conformed to his death. And literally the thought is here to die to self. And I mentioned that earlier. I can't live the Christian life. It has to be Christ in me. My self always gets in the way. Self always wants to do itself wants to do, not what God wants to do, not what Christ wants to do. And the best thing I can do with self is crucify self, put it to death. Paul says it this way in the book of Galatians, a verse that is so, so worth memorizing. Probably many of you have memorized it. To me, it sums up everything about what it is to follow Christ. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me, it's him. It's him in me living through me. And so it's okay, it's okay if I'm conformed to his death, if I die to self, and then he says this in verse 11, if if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, to arrive at, to come to, to meet, to come to the place of the resurrection of the dead. Clearly, he's looking forward here to heaven. There's no doubt about that. There's the element of salvation in this, right? That there's a day coming that even if I die physically, I'm going to be raised again in the resurrection of Christ. And so there's here already the hope for the next life, the life to come. But I think even in this tying in with what we, we see in, in verse 10 is the idea not, not only of looking forward to being in heaven, attaining that, but, but, but the Christ-like character that I need to have in my life is something that is achievable not in my own strength, but in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel, isn't it? The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And the gospel is essential for salvation. It's in Christ alone that I find salvation and forgiveness and hope and life, and peace, and relationship with God, but the gospel is also essential, brothers and sisters, for every day of our life. We come to the cross, we die to self, crucify ourselves, not literally, we understand, but we see ourselves as having died with Christ, and letting Christ live through us. Again, Galatians 2 20, to know Christ in hope. I gotta stop i got to keep going. i got to press on, and that's the second point, to press on in hope. A lot of verses, verses 12 to 19, I'm not going to go through them. I can't systematically go through them, but I want to zero in on verses 12 to 14. I love these verses. I love these verses. These verses have encouraged me, maybe more than any other verses in all of the Bible, over the years of my life. But verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already attained or i am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended that one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love Paul's honesty, I love his honesty. He doesn't say, he doesn't say here, I've, I've, I've got it all figured out now. I've arrived. In fact, he says the opposite. You you know, if I were to I'd look at the life of Paul, what we know of Paul and his work and his service and the fruit out of his ministry and what God did through him, and in my mind, I would say of the apostle Paul, man, he has arrived. I mean, this guy had it. He was walking with Christ in a way that I can't even come close to. But, But I love what Paul says here. He says, not that I have already attained, verse 12. You see that? Now, he may be referring to here the, the resurrection from the dead and the idea I'm going to be with heaven, I'm going to be in heaven, I'm going to be raised with Christ, I haven't attained that, I haven't got there yet. And that may certainly be one way of interpreting that phrase. But I think there's more in this because if you follow what comes after, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on, I press on. There's a sense here in which Paul's saying I haven't arrived yet. I haven't got to the place where I'm walking perfectly as I ought to walk, but I'm going ahead. I'm moving forward. Can I, can I just don't raise your hand? You don't need to speak out loud, but can you relate with what Paul's saying here? I can. The days where I feel like, I feel like I've grown maybe and I'm moving forward and then something happens in my life or I think something or an attitude comes up and I think, I, where, where did that come from? It's like, I thought I had passed that. And, and there's a recognition and it's humbling, isn't it, that I have not arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. Guess what, brothers and sisters? We're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven. It's coming though. That day's coming. And as long as we're living here in this world, we're going to struggle with the flesh. We're going to wrestle with that. We know where we should be, what we, how we ought to live, but we don't always do that. We don't always yield ourselves. We don't always die to self. And even Paul's saying, I have not already attained, not that I have already attained. And then you drop down to verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But 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 I love the thought here. I love this. And this has been such an encouragement to me. He says, for forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is the this is the thing, this is the focus. I haven't arrived, but I'm gonna, I'm not gonna let the past define me. I'm not gonna let that hold me back. Some of us can can relate with things in our life, sins in our life, failures in our life that are in the past, but they hold us and they define us sometimes, don't they? And they grip us. And it's like the enemy is all over that, right? Well, you, 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 you know, you, you, you think you're such a good Christian or you want to be a good Christian or you think you can do this, but you shouldn't because you did this, right? And you failed this way and remember this and remember that. And sometimes, isn't it amazing? Some of the moments that the enemy throws those thoughts up into your mind and the accuser, right? Of the brethren brings the sins of the past and he throws it into our faces, sometimes in the very moment where we're just ready to step out for Christ. That's like he's saying, you can't, and you shouldn't. And Paul could say, and we could read the early part of chapter 3, as I said earlier, all the things that he did wrong, and, and he could go through all that, but he says, I, I'm going to forget that. I'm going to forget those things which are behind. I'm not going to let the past define me. And it doesn't mean that Paul wasn't going to list, like, I'm going to pretend that never happened. There's a reality of recognizing, yes, I have sinned in the past, and I have failed, and I have done this, but you know what? My life isn't defined by that. My life is defined by Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. That's what defines my life and I acknowledge that sin, but I move forward from it. I don't let it control me, and I don't let it hold me. So forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. By the way, people may not forget your past, and people may remind you of your past failures. But in God and in Christ... That can be in the past for us and we can move forward in Him. Don't worry about what people think. It's the focusing on what God thinks and your definite, who you are before God. That is what defines your life in Jesus Christ and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So the sins of the past, it's there and I move forward in Christ. I go forward. I haven't arrived yet. I'm still growing, still learning, still trying to understand what it is to be surrendered, but I press on I go forward in Christ sometimes it's not only the sins of the past that can hold us it's the good things that we've done in the past that can hold us right our service for God well I did this for God and I did that for God you know back in the 1960s or the 1980s or the the 2000s if you will it's back there I did this thing but that's okay that's great wonderful that you did that for God but what are you doing now for God what are you doing now for him and and we can get it, we can get in the situation where we just sit on our laurels, so to speak, but we need to be reaching forward. Paul says, I'm reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Live forward, brothers and sisters. Live forward, not held by the past, but moving forward in Christ. And so if Paul simply puts it this way: I've said it already, we read it again. Paul says, But I press on. I press on on he says in verse 14 i press toward the goal both of those phrases i press on i press towards same word in the original language it means to pursue something literally to run after something paul says i'm running after him i'm running after him i'm pursuing him It speaks of dedication. It speaks of commitment. It speaks of passion. It speaks of this sense of energy and urgency in Paul's life as he presses on and he presses forward and he presses toward that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. What is he talking about here? The purpose that God has for him. I want to live in that purpose. I want to live for him. He, God, Christ had laid hold of Paul, not so he could retire and do nothing at the end of his life, not so he could just, you know, take it easy. Christ had laid hold of him so that he would live for him and he would serve him faithfully to the end. He would fulfill the purpose that he had. That's what Paul is aspiring to here. I want to press on in that. I want to press on for Christ and to serve him. The focus can become on ourselves so easily, right? Right. But here, the focus for Paul's on Christ and the purpose that Christ had for him. I, I'm absolutely convinced that when we get disappointed in our life, you ever get disappointed, don't raise your hand. You ever get disappointed mm, in your relationships, even your close, you're talking about marriage. Um, you, you know, that can happen in a marriage. You, so, you, you ever get disappointed in your church, right? You ever get disappointed with your friends and family? You get disappointed with your work. You get disappointed with this. You get disappointed. And, and then sometimes there can almost be this general haze of disappointment about my life. Don't, don't tell me if you ever felt that way before. Well, don't, yeah, don't raise your hand. Maybe I felt that. I'm sure many of you felt that way. Can I just say that when we go down that path of feeling disappointed, where is the focus? The focus is on self all of the time, isn't it? Every time. It's what I thought or what I wanted or what I this, what I that. Paul's saying, don't don't live like that. Live forward. Press on. Press toward. The focus on Christ. The race metaphor is there. The idea of the prize, the crown, the goal. It is something here that Paul says is eternal. It's something that is eternal. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm living for him, and I'm living for the life to come. We live in this world. We're rooted here. We, have, we, we—that's where we are. That's where God has placed us, and that's okay. And sometimes it isn't easy. But ultimately, I am living for Him, and my focus is on the life to come. That's where the prize is. It's not here. If I get disappointed here, well, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I got to get the focus off of myself, and I got to get the focus on Him, and go forward. There are discouragements that Paul mentions in verses 16 to 19. I won't go through them. Let me break it down really simply for you. There's two main things. There's more than two, but there's two main things that can discourage us as we try to press forward for the Lord. One is disunity among believers. And I think that's there in verses 15 to 16, the idea of being of the same mind. You know, it just sucks the life out of you, doesn't it, when Christians don't get along, when they bicker and argue about things that are just not important. When we think about death, people dying, we think about eternity, some of the things that we disagree over, it's sad, isn't it? And that's one of the things that can really discourage us in our walk with Christ, disunity among believers. Another one that can really discourage us is apostasy, and I think you see that in verses 18 to 19 there. People who maybe at one time were walking with the Lord, professing Christ, and now they're not. They want nothing to do with it. Boy, that can be discouraging, eh? I think, I know, I know, I know that you would know people right now, you know, we're walking with the Lord, they're not anymore. And that can be something that can discourage us so much. And there are other circumstances in life that can kind of beat us down and weigh us down. And what are we gonna do about those circumstances? How do we handle those circumstances? I'm a bit of a Lord of the Rings nerd, so forgive me for throwing this quote in here. Some of you know, if you know the story, Gandalf, and, and he's talking to Frodo, and Frodo's got this ring, and if you don't know the story, it won't make any sense to you maybe. But, but at one point, Frodo says this. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And then Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. What are you going to do with the time that is given to you? You wish maybe it was this way or that way or that circumstance, and if it was only like that, I could serve God better. I could. You don't get to control that. You were in the situation. What are you going to do with the time that is given to you? Are you going to quit? You say it's too much. I can't, you know, and if we fall, are we going to stay down? Or are we going to, as Paul puts it here, press on. Paul says, A press on. I fall, I get up, I run, I'm running, and I press on, press on in hope. Hope that one day we're going to see Christ. The day, hold on, we're going to see him. It's going to happen. The house that we live in now, the, the people that built the house, uh, we've got fields kind of on either side, and they say, we built the house so in the morning the sunrise comes in the front, and in the evening the sunset comes in the back. And, and, and in the morning if I'm up and I'm sitting in the, in the, in the living room, and, and I've got a chair that I sit in and I do my morning devotions of my prayer time. And sometimes if I'm timing it right and the sun, it depends. Yeah. Anyway, this ridiculous. Jack, you'll say, just don't keep mumbling. Just get it out there. The, 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 the sun shines in and it just literally illuminates the room. It is just gorgeous. There's this yellow-orange glow that fills the living room, and it's so beautiful. And every time I see that, it reminds me of the day. There's a day coming. The sun is going to rise. The day will dawn, and we will see Christ. Christ will come. We're going to be with him forever. Knowing Christ and hope, press on and hope one Final thought, and it ties in, obviously, with everything I've been saying. Paul's leading here. This is where he's going. Verses 20 and 21, eagerly wait in hope, eagerly wait in hope. Know Christ in hope, press on in hope, eagerly wait in hope. Verse 20, he says, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let me ask you two questions. First of all, do you believe that? Do you really believe that where you belong? Let me put it this way, that where you belong is in heaven. That's your citizenship. Do you really believe that? And here's the second one. Do you live like that? Am I living like that? Are you living like that? Are, are we living with the understanding that where we really belong, where home is, is in heaven? I understand we live here. I totally get it. We're here in this world. God has placed us here in everything that we're dealing with in the brokenness of this world. Here we are, and it's real. It's not like this is a mirage, and it's not. it is real, and we're here. But brothers and sisters, we're only here for a little while. Just a little while. My sister-in-law has ALS was diagnosed with ALS last spring and uh, 54 years old. We don't know, right? I could, I could go on, I could, you, you could share people that you know, younger, even than that. We, we think life, we know it's gonna end, right? We all know that, we all know that death is inevitable, Inevitable. but sometimes we live like we're good. it's all about this life, right? And Paul's saying, no, it's not all about this life. Our citizenship is in heaven, do, do you believe that? And are you living like that? I have a Canadian passport, probably most of you do here in this room, maybe not all of you. And if you don't, you may appreciate what I'm going to say because I was talking to, I've been interacting over the last while with two people um, who have married people from other countries and they want to bring their husbands to Canada and they are not permitted to come into this country because they come from I don't know third world, second. I don't know what how to say it, but they come from other countries, and the Canadian government won't let them come in, even to visit. They won't let them come in, and I'm like, "What? You're kidding me?" Well, I said, "Well, why can't they just come as tourists?" You know, you come you're coming as a tourist again. Oh no, 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 because they're from this country, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" And, And 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 what I began to realize in those conversations with them is the incredible privilege that it is to be a Canadian citizen. With that passport, we can go anywhere in the world, right? Like the doors are open. As a Canadian, you want to go here? Ah, Come on in, everyone. Because of the country that we come from, but there are people in other parts of the world that don't have that privilege. They can't get in here. They're not allowed to come in. And I, we, I t- took that for granted. Maybe you do too, right? <laughs> and that's a great thing to have a Canadian passport, but what an amazing thing to have a passport for heaven, right? A citizenship that says, okay, and and when I travel, and I don't travel a lot, not very often, but when I do, and I come home, and and the plane lands at the airport in Ottawa or in Toronto, that's where I've landed before. It's just like there's such a good feeling. It's like I'm back in Canada, and I love visiting other places, but I don't know what it is, right? It's just so good to be back home. And as I thought about that, I thought about the day when we, I don't know if landing is the right word, but when we land in heaven, what's that going to feel like? the thrill and the joy of of the sense that we're going to be home when we get to heaven. It's going to be home. We belong there. This world, we are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are sojourners. Over and over you find that in the Bible in this world. We live here. It's important. We're good citizens. We do all those things, but ultimately... Our citizenship—the ultimate citizenship that we have—Paul says—is in heaven. And how does he word it here? As he says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also. My translation—I know it'll be different with your translation—but my translation says we eagerly wait for. We eagerly wait for it. There's an ex. Here's the hope. There's a looking. This this word means the word means to look off expectantly. And patiently wait for something again there's hope right we tie it back to the definition of hope at the beginning that we are hoping for we are looking for what we're looking for home one day we're gonna be home but it's interesting the wording right because it doesn't exactly say that from which we also eagerly wait for heaven no doesn't say that you looking forward to heaven you know some days more than others right some days life is good here, and things are rolling, and everything's great, and it's easy to forget about heaven. Let's be honest, right? We're just rooted here, doing stuff here. And, but boy, when things don't go well in our life, when maybe some of the suffering comes in, maybe then we think a little bit more about heaven. Maybe then we're a little bit more eagerly waiting for it. But, but it's interesting what it says here. It's not, it's not eagerly waiting for heaven. It's eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the person, right? This is what it's all about. It's about the person of Christ. Our hope is in him, the Savior, the expectation of seeing him. It was a, a brother in our at our, the, the chapel in Lamab where we used to fellowship there for years, and wonderful brother and the Lord loved him godly man, served the Lord faithfully, very much was looking forward to being in heaven and 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 i can 't remember the message I was preaching, but the, the song, one of the songs or I, I referred to the song i 've got a mansion over the hilltop and I said you know that's really not a good translation and and you go to you know you go to the verses in John and it's not actually a mansion like your own mansion it's a room in the house and that, some of you know that the modern translations change that this guy is a little older and he comes up and he goes you really really ruined that song for me he goes i don't like that he goes i'm looking forward to having my mansion in heaven and I joked with him we we laughed about it but at the end of the day is that what we're living for to get the mansion or the room or the plate or the, the street of, you know, the gold, the transparent gold, the, all that stuff. You ever wonder why God just doesn't give us more details about heaven, right? Maybe, you know, I've heard, well, we couldn't understand it. We couldn't take it in. Yeah, that's all true, probably. But maybe it's because we, he doesn't want us to fixate too much on that. He wants us to get our focus on his son, on him. Just think about my son. Just live for him. Just press on for him. Just just live to know him more in your life and eagerly wait for him. That's the hope that we have. It's in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will, he says, verse 21, transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The God who created this universe by speaking the word and brought light into existence and matter and pulled it together and created the universe and the stars and everything that is out there, the same God is going to change our bodies in a moment. Do you not think he can do that? That's a small thing for him to do. And he's going to do it someday. Cancer, ALS, old age, blindness, deafness. The Lord that we know well visited with him a couple of weeks ago. He's blind and deaf. He shouts like this when he talks because he can't. Someday that's all going to be gone. And we grow old and weary and tired in the struggles of this life. And there's a day coming, brothers and sisters. He's going to transform our lowly body. We're going to have a body like the Lord Jesus when he was raised from the dead. And we're going to spend forever with him. And we're going to enjoy him. We're going to see him. We're going to know him in a way that we just are beginning to know now. That's the day. That's the day, I think, when we're going to say, now, now we've arrived. Now we're home with him. That day is coming. May the Lord encourage you in that hope that we eagerly wait for the savior. I want to end with a quote from an old Scottish writer, Alexander McLaren. He's one of my favorite, um, author's commentator, and and this is just a caption, a a paragraph out of a, a long thought that he has on this verse, these passages, and he says, so dear friends, make God's aim your aim. Concentrate your life's efforts upon it. Pursue it with a wise forgetfulness. Pursue it with an eager confidence of anticipation that shall not be put to shame. Then the years will take nothing from us which is which it is not gain to lose. They will neither weaken our energy, nor flatten our hopes, nor dim our confidence. And at the last, we shall reach the mark. And as we touch it, we shall find dropping on our surprised and humble heads the crown of life, which they receive who have so run, not as uncertainly, but doing this one thing, pressing towards the mark for the prize." Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your hope. Lord, that we would grab a hold of this hope, that we would live in this expectation of seeing the Savior one day, that we would eagerly wait for it, eagerly look for it. Not not that we have a death wish, not that we are trying to run away from this world, but we know that the hope that we have is one day to be with Christ, and that would fill our minds and hearts, and it would motivate us to live in this world and in this life because we have that hope, God, that it would affect the way that we live here and the time that you've given us here. However long that time is, it is so small, it is so short compared to eternity. And so, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can press on in him, that in spite of past failures and struggles, or or maybe maybe even its past glories that we're holding on to, but, Lord, that we would not do that. We would not be defined by the past. But as as your people, we would be a forward-looking people. We would be moving forward in our lives personally, in our church families, God, that we would move forward for you, that we would press on. And, Father, help us to know you more. God, the hope of knowing Christ day to day in our relationship with you, and then ultimately the day coming when we're going to be right in your presence. We're going to be like the Lord Jesus, and it'll all come together for us then. Father, just encourage us with that hope that we have, that we would live focused on Christ in the time that you've given to us. We ask these things, and I pray for your blessing on your people. In Jesus' name, amen.